0: Hello and welcome. Well, today we welcome back a familiar face. Now, for anyone who may not know who Dr. Justin Coulson is, which I don't think that there would be many at all. Now, Justin is one of Australia's most trusted and respected parenting experts and thought leaders. Now, as a happy families expert, Justin has a PhD in psychology and has written six books, Here we go. This is really incredibly impressive. Now, he is a four-time best-selling author, an occasional writer for the New York Times, is a TEDx speaker, a consultant to the the Australian government's Raising Children's Network and appears on a regular basis in all of Australia's major news outlets for television, radio and print, and he's just an all-round top bloke. And of course, he's a busy dad to six daughters. It's great to welcome you back, Justin. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me, Rachel. I, uh, I'm i not sure that I can live up to the expectation you yeah. just set, <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll do my best.
0: It's all truth. It's all the truth. <laughs> and, you know, we spoke with you last June, um, which we were only halfway through the year that was and was to change so much in the world. So how have you been since?
1: Really great. I know that COVID hasn't treated everybody well, and we've certainly had some challenges and struggles associated with that. Uh, anyone who runs a business uh, has probably had some of those experiences uh, but in spite of that uh, we've had time together as a family that's been unprecedented in the last decade uh, this is the first time that i've actually been home every single night i had a whole year where i didn't catch a single plane uh, so the family has been absolutely thriving and and uh, we've been able to reach a lot of people because people are using Zoom and people listen to podcasts and we've been able to help people in in different ways to what we used to. And overall, it's actually been a wonderful, wonderful experience.
0: And I mean, looking back at the year that was 2020, just holistically as a year, um, you know, which we all hope that we never have any other experiences um, as as we did. I mean, how do you choose to look back and sum up the year that was, I guess, retrospectively?
1: Yeah, I, I tend to take a slightly different approach uh, to, to what you've just highlighted. Uh, there, there's obviously been devastation and tragedy around the world as a result of COVID. And I would never wish that upon anybody. However, my my way of viewing life is that uh, so, so I used to be a competitive cyclist. I used to love my bike, lo- love riding my bike in bike races. Oh, you've got the Italian, the, that European heritage. So I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. But I just, I love cycling. It's, um, it's a, it's a magical, beautiful sport. And uh, I was talking to my kids one time. I'd just come back from a really hard ride. I'd really beaten myself up on the bike. I'd given myself a hard, hard workout, going up and down a particular hill about 30 or 40 k's from my house three or four times. And um, my kids sort of said, Dad, why are you riding up that hill? It's such a hard hill. It's such a big hill. Uh, Every time I rode up that hill, it took about 25 minutes. I mean, it's a a while. And, um, (laughs) and, And I said to them, riding downhill is fun, but if I want to become a stronger cyclist, riding downhill doesn't do anything for me. I've got to ride uphill. And then I paused and said, kids, you've got to love the hills. There's a metaphor for life here. It's the hills that make you stronger. You've got to love the hills. And we've kind of incorporated that into our daily conversation now. And when I think about what 2020 was, it, it, it's a year that has, I think, given all of us the opportunity to become stronger because we've had to climb a really big hill. We've all done it different ways. But if we look at what we've learned and if we look at what it's taught us, how we've grown As a result of the challenges that life has thrown at us hopefully we can reflect on that and say yeah there was sadness there was tragedy for many uh hopefully we've escaped that tragedy and if so what have we learned how has it made us better i have a phrase that i also share with my family often and that is that i don't think that life is about necessarily being happy as much as it's about being better i choose enlargement over happiness what can mm-hmm. I do that's going to make me better, rather than what can I do that's going to make me happy?
0: Oh, and if I show this little thing that I've got in front of me, which I say every day, how can I be doing this better? How can I be doing this better? Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: And, and the idea there is, when I do things better, when I choose enlargement, when I choose to serve or give or make a difference or forget about my own happiness, I actually end up happier. I end up growing more. I end up being a better person and and, and making a bigger impact. So that is how I choose to look at 2020. Was it a rough year? I'm pretty sure it was, but it was also a year of growth, a year of uh, opportunity, a year of time with family, a year of learning, a year of enlargement. And, And hopefully we can all be better as a result of that year if we look at it through that frame
0: yes it's all about perspective and and like anything when we throw ourselves into challenges instead of sort of looking at it from the perspective of why is this happening to me there's always an opportunity for growth in every every challenging situation so it is it, it hopefully everyone had that opportunity in some way, shape or form to grow and improve. And they always say that everyone's trying their very best from whatever level of consciousness they are at. So wherever people are at, um, hopefully that we've come out bigger, better and stronger individuals overall. So yeah. yeah. Now today we'd love to pick your brain on a couple of key topics. Firstly, we'd love to know um, what are your inspirational tips that you can help support kids in their 2021 school year? And also, would love to address an interesting topic of the importance of parents giving kids enough space and freedom with any helpful advice that you have where parents can balance that up with keeping their kids safe and uh, just parents sane all at the same time. Now, to begin with, I understand you're an ambassador for Space Talk, and they conducted a recent survey called Freedom for Fun. So what can you tell us about their findings?
1: Yeah, the, I, I really love the idea here because uh, so, so be, before I talk about Space Talk as a brand, and I, it's important that, that this comes across as authentic, I am an ambassador because one of my kids uses one of these products and it, it solves so many problems. Uh, as parents, I've always said that the longer you can smart parents don't give their kids smartphones, they give their kids dumb phones. Because kids don't need <laughs> smartphones, they need smart parents. But we've got a we've got kids that want to have a life. They want to be able to explore the world, and I want them to have the same freedom for fun, if I can use the term that Space Talk used in their in their uh, in their study. A good term, yeah. It's, it's yeah. I want my kids to have that freedom for fun. I want them to be able to go for a bike ride down to the park or walk down the street to their friends without me needing to helicopter them and when i was a kid i got to do that and, and and yet parents today just have that high level of discomfort and a lot of parents say well i'm going to have to give the kids a phone so that they can walk to school or ride to school or go to the park and and, and live that life and and i don't want my kids to have a phone uh, especially a smartphone where they're walking around literally with pornography in their pockets where they're uh, running the risk of having social media and dealing with stalkers and cyberbullying and all of that stuff our tweens, especially, children up to, let's say, the age of 12 or 13, they don't need that stuff in their lives. They don't need that pressure. They don't need that, that literal threat. Yes. And so Space Talk is basically a, it's like a smart watch, but the functionality is limited so that children can't quite do all of the stuff that they might if they had a smartphone. It's got um, a text capability and phone call capability. And it has GPS location service on it. It has uh, like a, a, a step tracker and you, you can count how many steps you've taken and it's got a heart rate monitor. It's got to have basic functions to allow children to feel like they're really grown up because they've got this really fancy watch. But there's no social media and there's no risk of all of the bad stuff that we worry about with kids and phone. You know, there's no uh, internet No noise, browsing. all of that. No that's right. It's simply a communication device like a telephone used to be a long time ago. So we we got one of those for our daughter uh, who is 10. She's a 10-ager. And, uh, Rachel, it's just changed everything in such a positive way because we can check in with her. She can send us messages or call us and let us know what she's up to. If she says she's going to go to the park and be back in 30 minutes and she's not back, we can give her a call or I can just look it up on the app and see where she is
0: yeah. on, on my
1: phone. So that's that's why uh, when when I got in touch with Space Talk and we started talking we decided that I would be an ambassador for them because I love what the um what the device does it yes. it satisfies all of the needs that we might have to stay in touch with our children and give them freedom without stressing out about all the other bad stuff that goes along with smartphones.
0: Phones. And I understand that the um their study revealed that this is a a pretty high stat that over a quarter of Aussie parents are concerned about um, were and are, con- are concerned about separation anxiety as their kids were heading back to school at the start of this year. Why do you think this is the case? Because we've spent so much time uh, in lockdown um, and over the last 12 months with our kids. Do you think that's a reason why? Uh, I I don't
1: really think that the lockdown has had a huge impact. It may have had some. This is mm-hmm. a trend that uh, clearly apparent well before we had the COVID lockdowns and, and and that kind of thing. Like I said, that might have exacerbated it a little bit, but basically, yeah. look at and you asked that question initially, and I went on that tangent. But yeah, more than a, more than more than a quarter of parents. Uh, in this study said that they were worried about separation anxiety. And and it's really ironic because they want, see, I think it was 67, 68% of them said, I want my kids to have the freedom that I had when I was younger. I want them to be able to walk the streets safely and go to the park with their friends and ride the flying fox and the swing set and climb to the top of that great big rope thing in the park. I want them to do that. But uh, even though if, I mean we're talking two thirds or more want them to do that. But at least a quarter, maybe more are saying, but I just can't. I'm too scared. I don't want them out there. I'm worried about what's happening in the world. So why is that? Yeah, I think that partly the news media has got us terrified that there's all these bad people. Out there, there's all these predators. Um, statistically, the world is safer now than it's ever been, but the news certainly makes it frightening. And and even though it's statistically safer than it's ever been, uh, if your child is the one, it doesn't matter what the statistics say. That's that's the worst case scenario. And mm. and so with parents being worried, uh, that's why I, I I really like this. The the stat in the Freedom for Fund study said sixty seven percent of parents. Would give their children more freedom if they could just contact them more easily.
0: Yes. And uh, I mean, uh, as you just stated before, and two thirds of Aussie parents, are 68%, now that's a lot really, have revealed that they want their children to have the same kind of freedom that they did growing up, as you mentioned earlier. So that's a really high, high amount of parents. But I mean, why do you think this is important for kids to have a little freedom growing up? And wow. um, yeah. Such
1: an important question. And and a lot of times parents aren't thinking about the developmental opportunities that that freedom affords them. So when children have freedom, they get to live autonomously. They get to make their own decisions. They start to learn what it is to be responsible. They start to also learn to assess risk. And this is critical because in in 2021, what I'm seeing parents do is minimise the risks that their children face, especially yes. when they're young. And the more we can kind of keep our children away from risk, the more we think that we're protecting them. The problem is at some point they get big enough that we can no longer protect them from risk. And if they hadn't have if they haven't had experience with all of the little risks while they're little, once they're big, the risks are a lot bigger, but they're not experienced with risk. They don't know how to manage risk. They don't know how to assess risk. They they really struggle to identify when it's okay to step in and when they need to be stepping back. So my response to this is we've got to help our children to become comfortable with risk to experience what it is to climb to the top of the slide and slide down or work out whether they can make it or not. That's a, a really simple example of a physical risk if you're in the park with your children. Mm. But they've also got to understand the risk of walking down the road, crossing the street Um, being able to ride their bike three or four blocks to their friend's house or getting to school. These are risky behaviours as well. And if we don't give our children the opportunity to develop the skills that are necessary, they're going to get to 16 or 17 and not know how to catch a bus from the city back to home. Or they're going to get to 17 or 18 and go to a party and not know how to assess... Uh, what's risky behaviour and what's not? They're going to be caught up in the in, in environment with all of their friends, and maybe there'll be alcohol or other substances. And and all of a sudden, we've got a really big challenge. They don't know how to assess risk. They don't know how to uh, manage that effectively. Mm. So, so so we've got to start young by giving our children responsibility and an opportunity to to take small risks, so they. Not not only so that they can assess risk, but guess what happens? When you you start to take small risks, you build your competence and capability. So we're actually skilling our children. And am I going to go so far as to say that a space talk watch gives your children the opportunity to develop competence and uh, manage risk? Yeah, I kind of actually am, not because I'm trying to make a big deal about the product, but because when you as a parent give your child that Watch, that means that you step back, which means they step up. Yeah, they start. They start to step into those slightly riskier situations, and you know that you've got that safety net. You can contact them. You can text them. You can check their location. And so, and so, having that, it actually does facilitate risk management, risk assessment, and competence building.
0: Yeah. Now you've got six beautiful kids. Now historically, how did you and have you kept track of all of them at once before tracking devices like space talk it must be like a full-time job in itself
1: <laughs> like. yeah yeah we kind we of just made it up as we went along rachel that's that's the reality we, we've always maintained this idea that we want to minimize our children's access to smartphones uh for as long as possible and our our basic rule has been you don't have one until you can pay for it yourself what a great uh, idea which has worked really well. Now that I say that, our fourth child, uh, she's in grade eight and while she can't pay for it herself yet, we have actually given her access to a, a phone because of the decisions that she's made around schooling and the way it, she's, she's in terms of the, the life that she's living, her, the, her walk to and from school and her extracurricular activities, we've just made the decision that it is, simpler for her to have access to a a phone and so we've given her one uh but our our grade six daughter who has the space talk watch uh it's perfect for her she doesn't need a smartphone she knows she doesn't need one and even when she goes into grade seven next year once again she will be fine with the space talk watch for another year or two before we need to start to talk about upgrading her to a a telephone
0: yeah so, I mean, parents often feel that giving their kids a mobile phone isn't the best idea. Is there anything else that you'd like to maybe add to that, or any other thoughts at all?
1: I think every family has got to assess this on its merits and go with what they really need as a family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there may be some reasons where a, a child, you know, by the time they're in grade eight might have reason to want a, a smartphone. Yeah. Even, even uh, what, what I love about a conversation like this is it gives me a chance to reflect on what I'm saying. And if if I had been a little bit more sensible, I probably would have given my grade eight daughter a space talk watch as well and told her to use that rather than getting her the phone it's a heck of a lot cheaper number one and number two um we are now encountering some of the conflicts that every parent experiences with kids using their devices more than they should you just don't have that when you've got a a watch Uh, and so we're we're actually probably over the next few weeks going to be having small conversations about that she's not doing anything terribly wrong it's just not quite the way we would like it to be so I, I guess what I would say is delay the smartphone as long as you can and then say to the kids if, what I'm really saying to you Rachel is I didn't hold firm on the line that you can have one when you can pay for it <laughs> I just let to have it because she's got some social media accounts now that she's in grade eight and that's how she talks to her friends and and that's why we acquiesced but what I should have said was well when you can pay for it you can have it otherwise you've got the watch because yeah because what what happens is parents actually say I want to be able to contact you I just need to know where you are and yes. we've got to be able to get in touch in case I'm going to be late picking you up for, from school or in case you need to contact me while you're at school because we've forgotten something. It's it's literally that simple. Yes. But a lot of parents don't know about uh, a device like this and so they'll go and buy the phone. The watch is simply a, it, it does the basics. It does exactly what you need it to. If they want the phone, wait till they can pay for it. That's that's pretty much my standard advice and, and I'm now living with the fruits of not having followed that advice with child number child number four. Sure, I won't yep. make the same mistake with child number five or six. And we did it really well with one, two, and three. We've only made the mistake once and we won't make it again.
0: And I'd love to know also like, you know, what do you think are the negative like implications if we just don't give children just enough social space and and freedom that they just need to thrive? You sort of sort of touched on it earlier, but I'd love to maybe just yeah hear hear you out on this as well
1: this this is where the whole smartphone thing comes back into play again because yeah. our children's playground now is Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat that's where their friends are hanging out and when i use the term playground i literally mean that's their playground that's where yeah. they hang out where they play that's where they converse that's where they they share funny stories or share memes or share whatever it is that they're sharing uh, it's just that it's a playground that is littered with metaphorical syringes and broken glass and uh, perverts who come walking through the playground uh, uninvited that's that's the risk that's involved but it is still their playground and it's our job as parents to make it as safe as we possibly can. they have their social opportunities in that playground. what would I do as a parent what what advice would I give to parents? well I would encourage you to do the sort of stuff that I do in my family. Uh, that same 13-year-old that now has that smartphone, and I wish that she didn't, she had a sleepover with five of her friends on Friday night just gone. And when they arrived, they went and swam in the pool and they goofed off and they played some games and they cooked their own meal for dinner and then they went downstairs and they played that, you, you know, the, the game where you, um, you stand behind somebody And you've got the makeup and you've got to apply the makeup to them.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. I I can't remember what that game is called, but they showed us the photos of this makeup that's gone everywhere. And putting makeup on each other. And they just just played like kids. And that would be the advice that I would give. Get the kids together face-to-face. Social media and screens are going to be part of what they do. But whenever you can, encourage the kids to get together to have them face-to-face, to have them engaging and involved with one another in a mm. physical context because that's where they really learn to mm. read one another, to, to play with one another, to experiment and learn and converse and engage and be human. That's that's what's so important for them.
0: And, and talking about friendship circles, I mean, as a multicultural society, children can have friends from a wide range of ethnic backgrounds, which is wonderful to learn and experience different parts of the world, you know, from the comfort of home. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, coming from a strict Italian background, I know all too well what it felt like to be wrapped in cotton wool growing up. The first time I remember being allowed to walk down to the shops with my, um, without, without my parents, I was in high school and my best friend Vicky and myself were allowed to walk down to the local Red Rooster. And we still remember that to this day because like she she comes from a Greek background and we are like, do you remember the first time so in that regard (laughs) um when children aren't given enough freedom um you know how would a parent know when it's just time in general just to start letting go and easing up a little um and just to give them that space at at what age and how and how does that work do you think
1: there's so many contextual factors that are going to play into this whereabouts do you live how busy are the streets what's crime like in the area how built up how quiet is it what time What time of day are you uh, dealing with the possibility that they want to go for this bike ride? Is it 6 o'clock in the morning? Is it 6 o'clock at night? All of these kinds of factors are going to play into making this decision. And and so there is no one-size-fits-all answer. I I know some families who live in regional areas who let their children walk three or four blocks or even a kilometre or more to school at the age of five or six. And I was a child of the 90s. I think I went to my first year of school when I probably was 1980, maybe 1981, um, or, or thereabouts. I think was my my first year of school, and and I would walk on my own as a five year old, 400 meters to the top of the hill, wow. and then 300 meters down the other side, and uh, then then a couple of hundred meters along the side of the road till I got to the crossing where the lollipop lady was, and she would usher me across the road into the school gate. I was walking seven eight hundred meters to school as a five year old, completely on my own.
0: Wow! I
1: don't know any parents who would say, "Yeah, I'm cool with that in 2021." But kids are pretty capable, and we've got the capacity to let them start to. The way I say the way I say it is this: if you want your children to be responsible, you've got to give them responsibility. Yes. If you want children to learn to take risks, then they've got to have the opportunity to take risks. Should Am I advising, therefore, that we should be letting our five-year-olds walk down to the park and go play for 45 <laughs> minutes? No, not necessarily. I'm not saying that at all. What I am suggesting is that when your children want to start to do these things, perhaps you might go with them the first few times. Yes. And then the next few times you can take let, let them take the lead. And then the next few times you can walk 20 metres behind them and then the next time you can leave two minutes after them until eventually they're 14 years old and they can do what they want. <laughs> you can <laughs> let them go to five by themselves. Eventually they're seven or they're eight or they're nine and, and you've got that confidence because they've demonstrated that they know how to cross the road, that they, they've got their space talk watch, for example, and you can and they can send you a text and say, I'm here and I'm fine. Once they've got that level of competence, they've shown that they can be responsible. What happens as parents is we start to relax just a little. We never, ever, ever let go. It doesn't matter. Even when they're, I, my eldest is now in her 20s and she's married and I still haven't quite let go. <laughs> we, we never fully let go. And we always want to know what they're up to and make sure that they're okay. But as we let them build and develop in their competence and capability, we start to be able to trust that they're going to be okay and that they know how to communicate with us if there's the slightest issue. I don't think that we want to be letting our five and six and seven-year-olds do that on their own. Um but I think that from about the age of eight or nine, we can start to loosen the reins a little bit and start to, again, depending on where you live and what they're asking to do, we can start to give them opportunities to stretch themselves, ride to school on their own uh, or walk to school on their own or go and play with a friend in the park. We can give them those opportunities. We just need to make sure that we've got that safety net because if I don't say that, some paranoid parent is going <laughs> think, to think that we're being inappropriate. Uh, Yeah, I I think that's fine though, Rachel. Again, going back to the 1980s, I was eight years old and I was walking home from school in the afternoon on my own because both my parents were working. I was letting myself into the house having some afternoon tea and then I'd meet up with my best friend, Andy Lucas, and we would ride our BMX bikes up and down the hills of Niagara Park on the New South Wales Central Coast. We'd end up at the big park on Gilda Drive, sliding down the slide and swinging on the swings. And I'd go home at about 5, 5.30. I was completely unsupervised as an eight and a nine-year-old for hours after school. Was that okay? I don't know if it was okay or not, but it's what it was. And I reckon that our kids you turned
0: out all right, didn't you? <laughs> well, well I, did, I did. And I reckon
1: that if we let our kids have some sense of responsibility and, and some sense of freedom, that they're probably going to be okay as well. Knowing that we can contact them, we can check in with them, there's a way for us to monitor them, we can pick them up, having that extra security blanket for us and for them makes it easier to give them that freedom for fun.
0: And on the, the topic of this different parenting styles, I mean, do you have any tips for parents who may struggle with friends and anyone in their social network? Um, Like maybe have different parenting styles and possibly different levels of freedom that they allow for their children. Let's say, for example, that, you know, that um, one child has got a certain level of freedom and their best friend or another friend in their group doesn't. Um, And I mean, I'd love to really understand your thoughts on this.
1: Well, we have to respect what other parents want for their children. Uh, that's really important. So let's say you and I are, are, are good friends and our kids are also good friends and I'm the pretty laissez-faire, they'll be right, don't worry about it kind of parent and you're the uptight, you'd never let them out of your sight kind of parent. Yep. What I would be suggesting in that case is that if the children were coming over to my place, I'd reassure you because I know you that, while the kids are here, I'll keep a close eye on them, and we're going to go to the park a bit later. But I'll be with them the whole time. So I, I, I think that we've got to facilitate conversations where we're respectful of the other parents' needs and the other parents' let's say clinginess for want of a better word, the other parents' anxiety. So, yeah, I'm going to take the kids to the park, which is going to make you a bit nervous, but I'm also assuring you that while they're there, they'll be fully supervised because I'm going to look after them. I might not do that with my own children, but I know that that's how you feel. And the reality is once we're at the park, I'm probably going to make a couple of business calls and respond to a few emails. And I'm not really going to be looking at the kids very much at all, but I am there and I am supervising. And you're probably going to be okay with that compared to me saying, oh, yeah, I'm just going to let the kids ride down to the park for an hour on their own. Yes. So so it's just about respecting one another's um, styles. If my kids went over to your place uh, I probably wouldn't have to have that conversation with you because I know that you're going to be all over them and they're going to be just fine. Uh, so, so we're really playing to the person who has the higher level of anxiety and we're being respectful of that. Yeah. And I, I think that that's just a, I think it's just a respectful thing to do.
0: Yes, definitely. Now, getting back to this uh, and addressing the school year and and the year for the rest of 2021. Now we published your article titled uh, tips to support our kids uh, this school year 2021. Now for someone who hasn't read the article yet can you please tell us a little bit about what it's about and I guess the inspiration and the the key messages that you've actually got in in that article.
1: Okay so I I can and, and and it's really important because there's there's a few things that we do sometimes that are are not necessarily helpful for our children in terms of the way they engage with school. The first thing that I'd be saying is that we want them to have as high a level of security, predictability and uh, safety around the school as we possibly can. So I'm, I'm always going to suggest if children are starting a new school, become familiar with the environment. To the extent that it's possible, get to know the teachers. Uh, make sure that they know where the bathrooms are and where the admin block is and where they go if they've got to go to sick bay, and where they're going to get dropped off and where they're going to get picked up. We're pretty well into the new school year now as we're having this conversation. So that's probably not as big a deal as it might be at the start of a year. But there's families who are always moving and new schools are always starting for some child somewhere. So, so that's just the, the best thing that you can do. Children thrive on predictability. They want to feel secure. So that would be the first thing that I'd be doing. Other than that, I'd be suggesting that parents really focus on having a relaxing and comfortable morning routine. Children are not developmentally designed to work to deadlines. I know that that probably sounds really funny when I say it like that, but as adults, we've conditioned ourselves, we've taught ourselves that we have to do this by 7.30 and we've got to be out the door by 7.48 and we've got to be dropping the kids off at 8.03. Otherwise, we're going to miss that set of lights at the bottom of the hill and we're going to be late for the bus or we're going to be late for work or we're going to be late for whatever. (laughs) Children uh, children don't comprehend that. They, they just don't get it. You know, it, it, <laughs> you say to your five-year-old, we've got to go in five minutes, and your five-year-old says, okay, and then runs outside and starts jumping on the trampoline. Yeah. Because they don't know what five minutes is, and even if they do know what five minutes is, it doesn't mean anything to them compared to the fun that jumping on the trampoline provides them. Developmentally, they just they don't get it, and they won't get it even until they're, Beyond 10, I'd say 11 or 12 is when they, they by the time they're 10, 11, 12, they know what minutes and hours are. They know how time works, but deadlines still don't mean anything to them as a general rule. Some kids are very inflexible. They become very routine oriented, but most kids, they just want to have fun. They want to be in the moment. They want to do what the moment demands of them, not what their parents demand of them in the moment. So, we want to make sure that the routine works. For our family, we've discovered that there's just four central things that the kids need to look after in the morning. And we guide them through that by asking, What's next? We don't tell them what to do. We say, What's next? How can I help? Number one, uniform. Number two, breakfast. Number three, school lunch. Number four, teeth and hair you know, the, the bathroom stuff. Yep. If the kids can do those four things in a reasonably timely fashion without gentle guidance, we find that the rest of the morning will pretty well take care of itself. Sometimes it takes them an hour and a half to do those four things because the swings are more exciting in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> like, get off the swings, what's next? And they're like, nothing's next, I'm swinging. We're like, no. Uh, so I would I would say that that's the, the next thing that we can work on. Uh, and- another thing. Oh, go ahead, Rachel,
0: sorry. No, I was just going to say, you do mention um, as well, like it's really important to be positive in the morning. And the morning rush, as you just mentioned, can cause a lot of unnecessary stress, um, just getting ready for the day ahead. But I just wanted to understand from your perspective why you think it's so important that we fill up children with positivity and kindness at the start of the day before they go to school as well. I'd love to know.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I wouldn't say it should just be for the morning, although that's what I wrote in the article. I would say that it needs to be... uh, about about life about school about as much as we can uh children catch our emotions emotions are contagious and if they catch our stress and our worry and whatever else first thing in the morning what ends up happening is that their body gets absolutely chock full of cortisol and adrenaline these stress hormones they go to school and instead of being primed to learn they're primed to fight or to run away, they're they're not in an optimal setting where they can start to absorb the information that we're sending them to school to absorb. They end up struggling with their friendships because they're on high alert, they're reactive rather than being calm and easygoing. So physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, cognitively, a stressful morning undermines everything that we would want our children to have throughout the rest of the day.
0: Wow. Wow. So it really, I guess, it helps kids approach their day feeling safe. Also, for whatever sort of comes their way, and it's just about establishing that self-safe foundation for the day and beyond. You think? Yeah, well?
1: yeah, and it is, and that's why I wanted to emphasise that we don't just want to be positive about the morning. Uh, we want to be positive about school. We want to want to be positive about life. What are you looking forward to today? What's exciting? What's coming up that you you've been itching to do? Uh, maybe it's just recess and lunch that they're looking forward to today. Sometimes that's all that the day really offers them. But, but sometimes they're going to be excited to see their friends or they're going to be excited about that excursion or the, the experiment that they're going to be doing in science. Asking them questions about what they're looking forward to and creating that sense of predictability, security and optimism for the day is a great way to, to have them prepared to go to school in a, in a great frame of mind.
0: And you also mentioned for parents in the article to consider school travel alternatives um, that, as you mentioned, and you, you, we were discussing earlier, you know, that how you walked as a five-year-old um, <laughs> and you had, you had all of those freedoms, but you said that, you know, many kids get dropped off right at the front of the gates these days, and this can really limit, I guess, a kid's ability just to feel in control and confident. Um, and even sort of overcome some potential anxieties. Um, So if school is close by for parents, maybe for them to consider, you you suggest in the article, you know, walking them uh, to the certain points and dropping them off and letting them walk a little way into the school. So I just wanted to maybe just flesh out that a little bit more and why you think this is so important.
1: I'm really glad that you raised that. Thanks for asking the question and and highlighting that particular point from the article. When we can be physically active it's terrific for our well-being it gets our kids moving it gets us moving uh we did a little experiment with our kids uh where we started walking to school we're about two kilometers from school and we found that that was a little bit too time consuming Mm -hmm. and so then we well let's get on the bikes now there's there's a really big hill between our house and our kids school
0: is that the one that you cycle up no, yeah.
1: not that really big one. Sorry, I just remembered. I do cycle up that one as well, which is why I said yes. But no, it's not the 25-minute um, a- athlete hill. No, this is just a little hill, but but it's big for kids and and they have to push their bikes up it. But what we found is that we can pretty much ride to school in about 12 minutes with the kids, that's much better than walking the two Ks there and back. Uh, and and what's happened is it puts the kids in a really great frame of mind. They feel competent and capable. They feel independent. They they feel the wind in their face. They feel, they, they, they're breathing in fresh air. They're getting movement. That's priming their brain for learning. So it, it, if we can change the way we get the children to school, it's also relaxing. It's an opportunity to be mindful and in the moment. It completely, again, sets a, a brand new foundation for what the day presents.
0: Yes. So it's all about letting kids feel, I guess, free and in control, I guess, just with some added incentive, teaching them about different things, maybe even like road safety as well as an opportunity, do you think?
1: Sure, yeah, yeah, plus movement. I can't emphasize movement enough. Uh, it's such a such an important predictor of well-being.
0: Yeah. And you also mentioned in the article also that um so often enough that everyone gets so busy and caught up in their to-do list for the week as we do and sometimes that we can forget to check in with one another and make sure everything is okay throughout the week. So, I mean, I'd love to know also, like, why do you think it's important to create, I guess, a space for those conversations and just to ensure, of course, that kids can feel that they can talk to you about anything relating to school and, of course, most importantly, just life in general?
1: So much of what we do with our children is what I call correction and direction, and so little is connection. When we create the space for connection... What we do is we say to a child, you matter, you belong, you're important to me, I'm interested in your world and I want to be in your world and I want you in mine. Connection builds the foundation for a strong relationship of trust and influence. When we are in a relationship where all that ever happens is correction and direction, we tend to stop listening to the person who's always bossing us around. (laughs) Whereas if we're in a relationship where we feel truly connected, we want to open up, we want to engage with that person. We want to listen, uh, take their opinion and advice, listen to their influence. So when our children spend time with us in connection, what we're really doing is we're building the relationship. We're strengthening their opportunities for growth and learning by being close to us. A lot of parents will say, yeah, but the kids just don't want to say anything. I say, what did you do at school today? They say, nothing. How was your day? Fine. Uh, that's probably not a, a really productive conversation. But what I find as well is that when I get home from a, a kind of a, a tough old day and my wife says to me, hey, how was your day? I usually say, it was fine. And she says, well, what happened? I'll say, "Ah oh, it was just a big day. And I, I kind of don't really want to talk about it in the moment. But if you can give me a half an hour or an hour to calm down, maybe if I can go and sit down and just relax or play with the kids for a bit and, and I can settle into being at home, Half an hour later, an hour later, I kind of start to open up. I start to say, oh, I had this thing happen today. Can I tell you about it? And Kylie will say, sure, yeah, I really want to know. And because she's open, I get to tell her what's happened and we get to explore the idea together and process it a little bit. I think that that's a really great principle to bear in mind when it comes to our children. If we put too much pressure on them to talk, they don't want to talk. They actually close up. But if we let them settle into the afternoon, have some afternoon tea, relax a little, and then we just go and sit with them without an agenda and say, so, what was the most exciting part about your day? What did you struggle with? Did you have any challenges? Is there anything I can help with? And we we involve them in a conversation that's not the stock standard, how was your day? They do start to open up. They know that we're really listening and connect. And we get to have these really delightful conversations,
0: and as we know that over 90% of a child's brain forms just before the age of five, and that's when a lot of the neural pathways is, are being formed, um, are you suggesting that we should be having these conversations as early as possible as well with our kids and at home to be able to strengthen those neural pathways, do you think?
1: Well, yeah, it's it's really interesting that you ask that. What we are really doing when we're strengthening those pathways is we're reinforcing and and creating associations of pleasure and warmth and safety and security between us as a caregiver and our child. But they're already there biologically. All we're doing now is we're strengthening that. We're building Deeper trust, and the earlier we can start this, the better we get at it, and the more fun it is. It's, I mean, it's, it's great fun when we've got our preschoolers and our toddlers, and we get to engage with them and tickle them and talk to them. We're probably not going to have deep and meaningful conversations, but it's also really important to create the habit because once our kids get yes. to eight or ten, and then they become teenagers, that's when these conversations can become a little more challenging, and we really want to have that strong foundation that we've built up over years of high-quality communication.
0: And look, really, on the flip side of that, if that doesn't happen, it's obviously a lot harder later on in life for the children to be able to approach you and to have those conversations because that hasn't been formed, would you say?
1: Well, it can be. Uh, As teenagers, they start to separate themselves from us anyway. That's something that they're biologically designed to do. Our job then is to maintain the connection. Our job is to be available, to be around. And the research tells us that they really do want us to be around and they really do want us to be connecting. It's just that they want it their way, not our way. And they sometimes are going to put up a bit of a fight and pretend that they don't want it. And we've got to be able to find creative ways that work for us and our children to navigate those impediments that pop up from, now, from time to time. What we do know is that if there is no relationship, they probably will never turn to us. If there is a relationship, even if it's a little bit strained, by being available and saying, yeah, I'm here and I will listen, that that is sometimes all that it takes to to get them to open up, even if they haven't previously. Sometimes we've really got to work at it. Sometimes we need extra help. Yeah. But, but the stronger the foundation that our relationship is built on, the more likely it is that they will come to us when times are tough.
0: So, do you think this? I mean, using different technology uh, opportunities, like space talk, as an example, gives the opportunity earlier on to be able to con- contribute to strengthening some of those those um, relationships and those those pathways as well. Do you think giving sure. children that flexibility and that freedom and that's going to strengthen the quality of your relationship with your children?
1: Yeah, once the kids get old enough, uh, it's it's really fun. I, I just sent a text message to my ten-year-old uh, yesterday. Uh, just letting her know that I was thinking about her and I loved her. She was at school; school mode was on on her Space Talk watch. But I know that as soon as the bell went at two thirty and her school mode switched off on the watch, she got a little text message from Dad saying that he was thinking That's about awesome. her. And- and we can do that with all of our children at all ages and, and just checking in. I mean, gosh, if you're listening to this and you haven't sent a text message to your partner today to let them know that you love them and you're crazy about them, do it now. Because we love it when we get those messages. We'd love to be important. We love to matter. We love to belong. We love to be thought of. It strengthens the relationship.
0: Yeah. As always, I love chatting with you um, and this has just been awesome. I guess if we were to summarise or if you were to summarise your key messages for anyone watching and listening today, what would they be?
1: Well, uh, first of all, connection is the key to strong relationships. Full stop, end of story. Secondly, when it comes to helping your children to be successful at school, we want to set them up to know what's happening, make things predictable, make things safe, build relationships and help them to be optimistic and make mornings magic. The third thing is that when your children are old enough to start to want to have a little bit of freedom. It's great to be able to give them access to some sort of safety net, some sort of electronic or digital safety net that allows you and them to stay in touch without bringing with it the added risks that a smartphone will bring. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm an ambassador for Space Talk. That's why I think that it's such a fabulous product. Uh, it's, it's, it, it solves so many problems. And so what I would recommend is that parents consider how they're best going to facilitate that communication with their child, be able to maintain some knowledge of where they are and what they're up to, and uh, and work out what solutions and strategies will be best for them. I think that it's entirely appropriate and reasonable that we equip them and equip ourselves with the kinds of hardware and software that allow us to, to have that assurance that the children can start to become independent and they can also... Um, be in touch with us and have that safety net when they need it.
0: Thank you so much for sharing all of your your wisdom and your advice and your tips today. Um, we'll, we'll, of course, have all of the links in the show notes as well. But, Justin, as always, love chatting with you. Take care. Give our love to the family and hope to have a chat in the not-too-distant future again. But until then, take care.
1: It's been really nice to be with you. Thanks for having me, Rachel.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. See ya. I'm Rachel Monteleone, and you've been listening to Kittypedia the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kiddypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.